Hello and welcome to Mind the Gap, a monthly podcast that looks at cultural pressures. I'm Lisa Wahinya and I'm joined by co-host of the M-Word podcast, Ikram Mohammed. She takes you on a journey on her upbringing, especially being first generation in her family to be raised in the UK. Ikram's parents migrated from Somalia and as Ikram grew older, she realised how important it was for her parents to ensure her religious and cultural beliefs didn't become affected by her environment. We dived straight in and I asked her how her home life was like growing up. It was very much Somali culture household. Um, pretty much so to the point where whenever I entered my house, there was a rule. We're not allowed to speak English anymore. And my dad implemented this rule because he thought that, okay, so we've moved from Somalia. He's moved from Somalia, had kids here. And um, he was afraid that we'd lose our culture. So I grew up, obviously, before I went to school, before nursery, I was speaking only Somali, like just to my parents, whatever. And then I started nursery, I was speaking Somali to my teachers as well. Um, <laughs> oh, bless you. Oh. I remember I used to say this one thing, which is, I need shaharaba, which basically means um, I want milk and tea. Ended up um, learning English, obviously. And then my brother was born four years after me. And then that's when my dad said, right, this UK is taking over my kids. This culture is taking over my kids. I'm not, not having it. So once you enter the house, that's it. If you speak in English, no one's listening to you. No one's going to respond to you. That's it. I went to a, a regular primary school. And then in year one, I came back singing um, some Christmas songs. And I was like, I have a boyfriend. Oh, my God. And my mom was like, I'm trying to raise her as a Muslim. And she also has a boyfriend in year one. Yeah, no, the school's not it. <laughs> Literally midterm, moved to Islamic school and Islamic private school. But the most important thing for her was for her kids to be surrounded by Islamic culture whilst we're living in a Western country kind of thing. I remember growing up, going to school, there was not an identity conflict. It was more like a, I'm mainly around Asian, like I knew their foods, like I kind of wished, like I kind of pretended like I had hair like them. And I kind of based my whole like religion around, like it was, it was weird. So like from Monday to Friday, I was almost like an Asian Muslim. And then Saturday, Sunday, I was like, a, I was a, Somali Muslim. How much did you feel like you changed when Monday to Friday at school you was around like the Asian girls and you know you wanted like hair like them and then Saturday to Sunday you was like around the people that are from your culture and from your background. Yeah your people them yeah. (laughs) I remember um, just not specifically wanting to be Asian but kind of not wanting to be an outcast kind of thing. And then so you went on what you thought was on holiday to Egypt and just never came back. Talk me through that. Like, how was that like? Did you not know when you, they were packing like hefty bags? To this day, when I tell this story, people, some people think now nah, you were, you was the dumb kid. You was the dumb kid. You should have known. Basically, I remember never being on like going on holiday outside of Europe. So we'd always go like Sweden um, to the Netherlands. Yeah, Sweden to the Netherlands, that's it. Because um, we had like their family members there. Um, so I remember my dad saying, oh, this year we're going to go on holiday. Like you guys choose where you want to go. It was actually a choice between Sudan and Egypt, by the way. So obviously we chose Egypt, pyramids and that. Now I know there's more pyramids in Sudan. Um, <laughs> and I was leaving like three days before school ended. So that was like, oh, uh, the cool kid. Like I'm, 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 I'm a rebel. I'm not staying like, till I'm not waiting for some holidays. I'm, I'm gone. Which is kind of bittersweet because I remember the day I was leaving, we were going to Thought Park. And funny story, my friends all met Dappy from N-Dubs and that was like my 
icon at the time. I loved oh him. Oh my gosh, how much of an N Dubs fan are you though? I'm not gonna lie, I had N Dubs written on every single exercise <laughs> book. No, I was I was a star. You know the ha 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 ha. Na na na. Yeah, so we left. We packed a lot, and I obviously don't know what it's like packing for a it's six week holiday like outside of the continent. So like I remember mum packing like. Um, she took a Hoover with her, which is why most people say, why is the one packing a Hoover and why are you not questioning it? And in my head, I'm like, I know my mom, she's a clean freak. So yeah, we um, left, stayed with my aunt in Cairo for a bit, did the normal touristy stuff going out. And then my dad was like, oh, we're going to visit our family friend of ours in the city called Mansoura. We end up taking all our luggage. I'm thinking we're going to go visit this auntie for like two, three days and come back to Cairo to my other aunt. Why are we packing all our luggage? I remember that's like the first time I was like suspicious. I had an iPhone 3 or 4 at the time. And I remember the SIM card not coming out in Egypt yet. So like they never had like the, just like the smaller SIM card. So I couldn't use my brand new iPhone. But I remember getting messages saying, we're going to miss you so much. Oh my God, it's not going to be the same without you. And I'm thinking, no, I mean, it's summer holidays. No one really sees each other. Like I, I wasn't going to see you anyway. Like I don't understand. But I didn't really question it much. When we packed all our stuff and got onto this bus, get there now, and we get to this apartment, and I'm thinking, oh, this is my aunt's apartment. And she's waiting for us outside, and she hands us keys. And I'm thinking, why is she handing us the keys? Why don't she just let us inside her house? We enter this house, this apartment, sorry, empty. There's not a single furniture. There's not a single, there's nothing. It's like, a, it was huge. The ceilings are huge. I remember there were pillars. And I'm thinking, are we staying here for like, a week maybe I still didn't question anything because I don't know why maybe because we never really had a conversation I think I remember speaking to my brother my younger brother and in hindsight he told me he knew all along next thing I know we're buying my dad's buying like a cooker a fridge and I remember he bought a cooker a fridge and a washing machine all at the same time I remember specifically the day I bought it up was when I went to go take pictures I don't know why I'm taking pictures these were my school pictures uh, <laughs> um, for like my um, application forms. And like my, the family friend's daughter is my age. And she's filling out these forms in Arabic. And I'm thinking, hold on, what's going on? And I was like, well, how are we staying here? And then my mom was like, oh, we'll talk about it when we get home. And I was like, hey, excuse me? And I, I was like, I picked my GCSEs. I was, what? <laughs> we went back home. My dad sat us down. I like the relationship I have with my dad is very much like, whatever I say goes. It was like, you guys are staying here because my dad didn't stay with us. He went back to London. He's like, you guys are staying here. Um, I want the best for you guys. And you know, I want the best for you guys. And this is your new home. Their reasoning they say to me is wanted us to grow up and kind of experience similar experiences that they did. Because obviously Somalia wasn't safe at the time um, and properly learn the religion. Do you remember what it was like for you as a Somalian now in the UK you've grown up there your first generation there your family your parents worked really hard it sounds like to just keep that culture going at least in the house and then next thing you know even down to the school that you went to as well down to like the places that you'd go on the weekends now you're all the way in Egypt and it's like neither of the cultures that I've experienced so like what am I doing here so how was that for you then I remember the first few years, it was just complete resentment. My personality even shifted a little bit where I was like very much closed off. I wasn't, 
physically couldn't make friends because obviously the language barrier. I remember I even like covered up fully as in my face as well, because in that town, the only black people were us. So we couldn't even walk down the street without people calling us names or asking us where we're from or just shouting abuse. Like a lot of the people I realise now, yes, it was out of ignorance because these people have never seen black people. They don't have TVs. They don't have internet. They don't have anything. Like they literally don't leave the little town that they're in. And I remember one time walking down the street with my father and this kid running out to play outside and he looks at us and he runs back in the house screaming as if he's seen, I don't know, some sort of ghost. I did pick up the language really quickly because obviously by force, by fire, you're surrounded by people who speak nothing else. So the first two years, I remember hating it. Like every opportunity I got, I'm closer to my mum than my dad. So I tried to get my mum to speak to my dad. I'll show her ways that, okay, I can't, like, life is failing here. There was a shift at one point. After two years, we came back here for holiday. And I remember, like, seeing all my friends, well, most of my friends, and just trying to fit in here again for, like, the six weeks that we're here. But kind of feeling out of place as well, because I've missed two years. And knowing that I'm going to go back, so there's no point in trying to, trying to settle in or fit in. And then I remember going back and that's when I, that's when it was a completely different experience for me. Like I stopped wearing the naqab, like the full veil. I can speak the language now. So if you have anything to say to me, I have a lot to say to you as well. (laughs) I started making friends. People started to see me. Basically, when someone would see me, like meet me for the first time, they'd ask me straight away, where are you from? I had two options. If I would say I'm from London, that's it. I'm held at the highest of ranks. Like I'm given all the privileges of the privileges. <laughs> if I now say I'm Somali, you know, you're, you're a refugee. You know, you're here. We're, we're helping you out. Wasn't really looked at twice. It's interesting that if you said that you're yeah. from Somalia, they would just sort of like look at you like okay then but if you said london it was like oh like you've got it oh i want to know more about you what was like the local people that you was living around what was their idea of the uk one of the first conversations i remember having when i started when i learned the language was what's your name in english and i'm like huh and they're like yeah what's your name in london and I was like, my name's Ikram. And then she said to me, oh, okay. So like, when you go back to London, do you do you wear shorts? You walk around in a bikini? And I'm like, but why? And I'm thinking it's cold, like why? And then her way of thinking is, do you not wear the Islamic clothing? Basically? Do you not wear the hijab? Like, do you dress similar to them? Someone said to my brother uh, one time, oh, I feel so sorry for you. You're a minority here. As in like, when they say minority, as in like, you're the only black person in this town and you're probably you were the only black person in London as well people genuinely thought there's not a single black person in London some people thought it was a talent that I could speak English because of TV it's really mad I think how like even when I go back home my Swahili is like westernized and um oh. you know it's just a bit like I'm a bit otherish there do you know what I mean I didn't really realize for me being born in Kenya I didn't see it as like less than when I came here I grew up and then um going back home i wanted to understand like what is it that you guys think is going on here like do you think that we're just chilling and eating in gold plates you know some things don't work out like even down to like your exams that you took in back home it's not recognized here please that's that's (laughs) that's triggering i thought we were just gonna stay in egypt but things didn't work out apparently so we had to come back to london and i was very happy i was excited i was like yeah i'm gonna take my excellent a-level equivalent to London and I'm a bag me in like a, a sick uni there. Um, I remember coming and um, going to translate my um, my certification 
and then sending it off. I forgot what it was that where the institution that I was sending it off to, but I remember sending it off and it coming back as unrecognized. And I was just like, I, I, remember, I think that, you know when people say heartbreak, I think that was my first heartbreak. <laughs> what? And I remember just, obviously my age mates are in uni, the ones that I left here. I don't know, it was a sense of like, I struggled a lot with, you know how like in primary school, you're all in the same year, secondary school, you're all in the same year, sixth form, some people do drop out, but most of the people are in the same year. And then you expect to graduate at 21 and get a degree, get a, a job at 21 and I don't know, get married the next day and have like, you think your life is set out. So they told me that it's unrecognized and you can't go to uni here. You're going to have to start from, no, you ain't your GCSEs again. And I said, say what? Forget this. I am going to go back to Egypt. I'm going to live alone in Cairo. I'm going to go uni there since they recognize my degree over there. Lol, I went there <laughs> and did it last. I remember enrolling the next week just withdrawing my papers because it wasn't it for me <laughs> my parents to this day they think that I, I stayed in uni for a year and tried it out properly but really and truly I was I was there I was out there I made friends I traveled a lot kind of found myself again on my own terms kind of felt like I had control of my life for the first time ever and then I kind of like was at peace with okay yeah I'm 19 and I'm not in uni so what so then when you came here back to the UK to actual stay from then to now that you're 24 how was that transition oh my god so there was two different kind of stages so the first time I came back obviously after when I was getting my certification like unrecognized or whatever I stayed here for a year before I went back to Egypt so during that year I tried to go to college I tried to like redo everything again for like a few months so I remember going to this um college and honestly again like I have this complex about me I mean it's very much toned down now as I grow older which is I want everyone in the room to like me so I remember again having that same year seven mentality of like I'm trying to make friends I'm trying to gain back everything that I've missed and blah 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 and not even thinking about all the experiences I've gained while I've been away and like dismissing all of that so I remember trying very hard to fit in maybe made a few like friends that were kind of left it was after I decided to come back and I was like okay listen I've had my fun I got a job from one of my friend's managers as like an Arabic teacher for a few months I was teaching like ranging from year sevens to like year 11 um, GCSE Arabic and I was like, no, teaching ain't for me. I would move on. So I just wanted to get a regular job. Like how most people don't really want to do retail. I was like, I need, I want to experience like what it's like doing retail or just working a regular job and trying to figure out your life. So I got a job at a call centre and that's when I met Najma, one of the co-hosts uh, for the M Word podcast. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like she's the first friend I made in my adulthood life. So obviously I had friends back in Egypt, but once I left Egypt, they stayed in Egypt. I don't know, we were just friends for the sake of school or just being friends, like we had nothing in common. And I remember coming back and trying to rekindle friendships I left here. But obviously what I didn't understand was you were 14 at the time. People outgrow, people become changed into different beings. I learned that the hard way. I remember meeting Nejma. The first conversation we had was, oh, I've never watched Harry Potter. And she's a Harry Potter geek, as in she would name her kids based on characters. So I remember her looking at me like, 
Yeah. She was insulted. She was like, listen, you know what, Tripa? You're probably the same person who can't colour inside the lines. And I was like, I'm finished. I was like, you're my best friend. And then the podcast started, I think, after I met Zuhur, which was Nejma's best friend. Uh, we clicked like we were friends for a lifetime. But I've always wanted to start a podcast. I remember in um, Egypt, in Mansoura, I used to watch a lot of like English TV shows or like just people speaking in English. Like it didn't really matter what they were saying only because I wanted to retain, I didn't want to forget English because I've heard so many stories of people moving out and coming back with an accent. And I was like, that's not going to happen to me. I don't want to forget my English. Do you think you'd work just as hard as your parents to keep your culture somewhat alive in a westernized community with your family if you decide to have yes. one? I feel like what I would do differently is not kind of exclude that and make it like a forbidden thing or like an unwanted thing, but kind of like allow my kids to incorporate everything into one. Because then they would be, if they're born here, they would be second generation. So I kind of would have an idea of what it's like living here. So I feel like it'd be a lot, it's very different for them. So the Islamic culture, the Somali culture and the British culture. And then who if I marry a non-Somali then, woo! <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode seven of Mind the Gap. That was Ikra Mohammed opening up about her upbringing here in the UK as first generation in her family to be raised here. If you enjoyed this episode, there's plenty more to listen to. So feel free to wander off to previous episodes. I hate to be the one to say it, but we're getting closer and closer to the end of season one. So if there's anyone you want to hear from on Mind the Gap, Act quick and let me know. Make sure to stay connected by following Mind the Gap on Instagram at Generational Lens and Twitter, it's at GL underscore Mind the Gap. Like, share, comment, spread the word. I'm Lisa Wahinya. I'll see you next month, same time, same place. <laughs>